Amen. Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Psalm 42. Now, if you don't have a Bible, um, we will put the, the passages up at the bottom of the screen, and you can follow along in that way. But one of the things that we do is we actually encourage people to open Bibles and to read along, and the hope is, is that if you're doing it in church or now more uh, specifically at home, uh, you're learning how to do this for yourself. And we hope that that's something that people who come to our campus will become familiar with, that you would feel at ease to be able to open a Bible for yourself, read it, and hear from God. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm 42 in just a moment, Psalm 42, and actually Psalm 43 as well. They go together. I'll show you why here in a little bit. Um, but as we get there, as you're maybe getting a Bible out or getting it up on a device, um, we're doing a series now called Stories of Hope. We did a stretch where we did Psalms that steady our hearts, and then we've moved into this theme of hope. And we've continued to look at the book of Psalms because there, there are these passages like Psalm 42 where we're talking about putting our hope in God. And we're being honest about how we really feel, but we're preaching to ourselves and we're trying to onboard this idea of hope. And I have been praying that this would be a useful uh, talk for you, that, that the times that we jump into the Word, that God would speak over us and help us to know Him better. So let me go ahead and read the passage along with you, and then we'll pray and we'll get to work. This is Psalm 42. It says, For the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. That's all... Uh, titling that helps us to know that this is a thing that they would sing together in the, in the assembly. But here's verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to each of us. We pray that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would communicate words of hope to our souls. We commit this time to you, God. We want it to be helpful for everyone who's listening right now, for everyone who will watch it later, Lord. We're grateful that you continue to speak, and we need it so desperately. So in this moment, Lord, would you please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, these are called Psalms of Lament. These are two psalms that really hang together, and it it actually makes up three different laments. Now, lament is a weird word. Most of us never use it other than when we maybe bump into it into into the Bible, which probably isn't that often either. But in the Bible, there are these times where people are encouraged to complain. We have this permission from God to be able to say, this is not okay. I am not okay. Um, When this COVID-19 thing first started happening, I was reading an article that was kind of critiquing the self-help version of Christianity. And there was a really punchy line in there. and, And it basically said, be wary of any preacher who's in an empty auditorium trying to pump you up. In a moment like this, we don't need to be pumped up. We need to be given permission to lament. Meaning we need to be able to say what's really going on with our souls and to be honest about it and to be able to express that in a way that's healthy and productive. And that's what we find in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. We find the psalmist complaining to God, acknowledging the condition of their soul, being honest with how they feel. And it's, it's an incredible reality about the Bible that it encourages us to do that. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet, and he was credited by most people for writing the book of Lamentations, an entire book of the Bible full of complaints, full of laments. And um, if you know Jeremiah's story, he was a preacher, a prophet who was telling the people of God what they needed to do to respond appropriately to God, and nobody really wanted to listen to him. And finally, the people were forcibly removed from their homeland, and Jeremiah continued to speak words of truth to help them navigate it. And, you know, Jeremiah 29 is maybe one of the most famous passages quoted by many, many believers, but often misapplied. Jeremiah says to a group of people, he says, Uh, God is saying, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But that message was actually tucked into a bigger message that that was pretty unfortunate. God was saying to a group of people who had been forcibly removed from their homeland and all that they came to love and know, and he told them through Jeremiah, get used to this. For 70 years, you will be in exile build homes, plant gardens, post up. This is the new reality. And in that, God speaks and he says, for I know the plans I have for you. And it's a word intended to give hope. But the truth is, if Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, he went away from that sermon from God and he sat down and he wrote an entire book of the Bible where he said, God, I'm not happy about this. 
I'm not okay with how this is going. And God didn't look at him and go, you know what, buddy? I'm going to edit your words. Be careful how you speak here. God didn't censor him. He didn't scold him. God actually vindicated the way that he was feeling. It's a part of the Bible. The Bible is actually giving us not only permission, but ammunition to be able to bear our souls before God and say, here's how I'm really feeling right now. Here's how I'm really processing this, this stuff right now. Psalm 42 and 43, it's similar in that regard. It's saying, we have the ability to go before God and to say, here's how I really feel. So three words of lament, and we see them here in Psalm 42 and 43. The first one really is this idea that God seems absent. You see it in verses 1 to 4, but he's saying, in the midst of what I'm going through right now, when I pray to you, I can't even find you. I don't even know where you are. So the first word of lament is this word about God seeming absent. Let's look at it. Uh, at, the be- at the beginning, he describes it in this way. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist is saying that just like a deer is panting for water, which would indicate that there's a drought, that there's, there's an absence of water. And the deer is trying to find a source of water to, you know, be able to drink from it and to be okay. And he's saying, my soul feels like that. That I'm searching for God and I can't seem to find the source. I'm praying. I'm going through this stuff. I'm pouring out my my heart before him. But in this moment, he seems removed from my experience. Now, this is really unsettling and it's unfortunate that we don't do a better job of teaching people about this. But Theologians of old used to call this the dark night of the soul. They called it the dark night of the soul because in many people's experience, they go through seasons, even very mature believers, maybe even in in some cases, mature believers are more apt to have this, but people go through this experience and they feel that God is absent. And if you're unaware of that, that can be incredibly unsettling. But it's here for us in this word of lament. It's saying, God, I am thirsting for you and I can't find you. When will I be able to go and meet with you? Not only that, this person is emotionally exhausted. This person is feeling the absence of God and it's wearing on them. And so it's described in this way in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Tears are the, you know, the, the food of this individual. They've lost their appetite. Not only that, they're so torn up about this reality that they're going through and the absence of God in it, that they're sobbing through the watches of the night. They're going through such a traumatic experience with this feeling of God's remoteness. And so they're weeping and they're crying and they're describing that, that their food, both day and night, are tears. And along the way, people are also mocking and ridiculing, saying, Where, where's your God in all of this? Not only that, it's amplified by the fact that they're missing their community. You know, God feels absent, but also the inability to meet with God's people only amplifies that. And so it's described in this way. In Psalm 42, it says, verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. 
The psalmist is saying, I, I miss what it was like to be a part of those festive experiences with the people of God, celebrating this beautiful community and celebrating our worship to God himself. But in this moment, all of that feels remote. All of that feels absent. All of that feels inaccessible. And I know in our society, we are individualistic. And a lot of people will say things like, I can be a Christian without needing the church. And hopefully in a moment like this, as we've had this extended time away from each other, that sort of foolish talk would drop away from our lips. And we would recognize God is not only saving individuals, but he's saving a people. And we should want and desire to gather together again, to go to the house of God under the protection of God himself with joy and praise among the community of God's people. All of that feels very similar to what we're going through right now. We can't meet together. And there's a growing long, longing, I hope, in all of us to say, I can't wait for the day when the restrictions are lifted and we're able to gather again. I look forward to that. So that's that first lament, and it's really a lament saying, God, you feel absent in all of these different ways. The second lament is in verses 6 and following, and it's this, um, now it's language that's saying, I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm, I'm totally overwhelmed by these circumstances. I'm not where I want to be. Look at verse 6. It's saying, I'm not in the location that I wanted to be in. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Now, all of that sounds very odd to us, but if you just look at a map in your Bible and you look at where these different places are, they're way up in the north. And so what this person is saying is, I am not physically where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be right now. I'm not in Jerusalem. I'm not in the holy city. And this person, you know, is writing music for the worshipers of God. And so their job probably is to be close to the temple and to be a part of that worship experience. But here, this person is writing saying, that's not where I'm at. I'm up by Jordan. I'm up by Hermon, by the Mount Mazar. I'm up away from this place where I would ordinarily be meeting with the people of God. And so they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by that experience of being removed from the place of comfort. And many of us can relate to that right now as many of our comforts have gone away and many of the things that we want and long for have been taken from us. And we can say, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not doing the things that I want to be doing. Those opportunities have been removed from me. Not only that, I feel overwhelmed in the sense that I feel like a person who is in water that is just overwhelming me. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's saying, I'm in this situation that feels like if you've ever been in the ocean before and you're just getting hit by wave after wave, and you just feel like you can't get a break because they keep coming and they're big and they're knocking you down and you're feeling this inability to even get up and get the breath that you need. And that's how the psalmist is describing his experience. All your waves and your breakers keep crashing on my head and I just feel like I can't catch a breath here. Luckily, there's a glimpse of hope in verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. There's this hopefulness even in the midst of a word of lament. But that's not all. This person is feeling overwhelmed. And one of the things that's amplifying that is the fact that they're going through this 
social experience that's traumatic. Not only are they personally feeling this turmoil in their own soul, but now other people are looking at them and insulting them. Look at verse 9 and following. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? This person is experiencing turmoil, and now it's being amplified by the fact that other people are looking at them and saying, I thought you had this incredible God. I thought you had this awesome God who was leading and guiding you and caring for you. Where is that God? A few years ago, I had a conversation. I sat down with somebody, and I was uh, you know, kind of in that transition before we launched the, the campus, and I was just feeling overwhelmed and unclear of what God was doing in my life. And I felt permission in that moment, though I wasn't that close with this individual. It was a local church leader in the area. And I sat with them and I kind of just laid my heart out before them. And, um, and I remember how that person kind of dismissed what I was saying. And that's, I think, what the psalmist is describing here. People who are looking at this person, looking at the condition of their soul, looking at their experience and just kind of belittling all of it. Just kind of saying, yeah, what's your problem here? And um, it, was, it was incredibly discouraging for me to feel socially distraught like that. And the next morning I woke up and I got into my Bible and there was a, I was in the book of Job and there was a passage that came out there and it was just, you know, a passage where, where Job was saying to his friends, why are you treating my words like wind? I'm burying my soul here and then socially people are mocking and taunting and belittling the experience that I'm going through. And that itself is another reason why this is so hard. That even when you seek to get honest with how you're feeling, there are, there are enemies without, and sometimes they're actual enemies, but sometimes they're, they're very close to us. And when they belittle us, it hurts. When they, when they mock the way that we're processing things, it really is traumatic. I was thinking this week about, you know, people like, seniors right now who are missing the end of their final year of high school and all that comes with it. You know, they're missing their senior prom and they're missing their senior skip day and they're missing their senior pranks and they're missing all these things that they were maybe looking forward to and maybe they haven't had their senior photos yet and then everyone else is posting their own senior photos. And what we don't want to do in this moment is come along and socially provoke people and belittle the thing that they're going through. We don't want to come alongside them and go, oh, it's okay, bud. It's going to get better. That doesn't actually acknowledge the seriousness of what people are going through. This person, in in verses 9 and 10, they're socially distraught. They're feeling like they're being mocked because they're revealing their soul, and other people are saying, what's your problem? Where's your God? Can't your God take care of this? So in those first two words of lament, we really get this Reality of how the psalmist is feeling. The psalmist is feeling absolutely overwhelmed and God feels absent. So now I want to turn our attention to hopefully some very practical things that we can do about it. I'm going to give you four different things that we can do with all of these feelings that maybe you're resonating with. As we're going through COVID-19 and all of the challenges, the truth is, as I talk to many of you, part of what's going on is we are emotionally distraught. And we need to know what to do with all of that. 
So let me tell you four different things, four different suggestions for how to handle these uncertain seasons, okay? The first one is you should express how you feel. That's exactly what these two psalms are. It's the psalmist expressing how they're feeling. They've actually taken pen to paper and said, here's what's going on with me. Here's how I'm feeling, and I'm just going to unearth that. Now, part of that will require that you actually pay attention, that you take inventory. Uh, That survey that I mentioned at the outset of our service, um, when I took it, it asked questions that I hadn't even thought of. It forced me to deal with topics that I hadn't really wrestled with. And then I had to go, how do I feel about that right now? But we need to examine how we're feeling, and then we need to find a way to express it, to be able to, to write it down or talk to God about it or talk to other people about it. But we should seek opportunities to express how we feel. And one of the things that maybe would be very, very helpful right now is to spiritually journal, to actually get a notebook and just begin to write your prayers down, write your frustrations down, write the things down that that you're going through right now so that you can revisit them and you can trace God's hand of providence in your life and the way that he answers prayers for you and, and you can express yourself in that way. That's what Psalm is encouraging us to do here. Psalm 42 and 43 give us this example of what it looks like to take your feelings and to put them down on paper and to say, this is really what it feels like for me right now. So please do that. But another thing is we express our feelings and we, ex- we try to you know, evaluate what they are. Another thing that we need to do as we're expressing our feelings is we need to look at them and say, why do I feel that way? We need to consider what our longings are. And that's what happens in um, verses 5 and 11 and then in 43 verse 5 again. It's this recurring question and the verses are all identical. But it's, it's saying, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And I love that a couple of the commentators pointed out this isn't just a rhetorical question. It's not just a question without a real answer. It does feel like the psalmist is really trying to evaluate their feelings. Why, soul, do you feel like this? Why are you so, as another version puts it, why are you so disquieted within me? Why are you so disturbed? Because as we express our feelings, we're basically examining them and saying, this is how I feel. But then we need to ask, why do I feel that way? Why am I so upset by these things that are going on around me? And as I've talked to a bunch of you, what I'm beginning to realize is a lot of us are really emotionally distraught right now for different reasons. And we're, we're kind of expressing that in, in a variety of ways. And maybe some people feel very strongly that, you know, we need to open things back up and people get back to work and you know, that, that might be, you know, an opinion that somebody has. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got people who are in, within our church even who are saying, no, 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 we need to be very, very careful here and see this thing through and make sacrifices now to try to help, you know, those who are weak and marginalized right now. And we've got people on both ends of the spectrum. And a lot of us are feeling that angst right now. We're like, we want, you know, it, something's got to change. Something's got to give here. And as I talk to people, here's what I'm discerning. The issue really isn't the presenting opinion. 
There's an issue behind the issue in every case that I've talked to. In every person that I've talked to, there's something behind it. And what I'm asking you to do is examine your heart. Ask the question of the psalmist, why am I so disturbed? Why am I so disquieted? And try to figure out what is it that is really bugging you. For some people, the problem and the reason why we might want to reopen as soon as possible is because we've got loved ones who are financially getting crushed right now. And they're in trouble. And we want things to get better for them ASAP. And maybe it's us. And so there's this desire to, for immediate relief. For some, it's, you know, the need to have something happen that isn't available right now. I mean, my dad, uh, you know, he's got, the doctor said to him, there's an issue right now in your neck. You are compromised. If you fall down right now, you could be paralyzed. So what is the issue behind the issue? Soul, why are you so disquieted within me? I need my dad to get a surgery. I need him to be able to go in and get the care that he needs. There's that issue there. Why are you so disquieted within me. On the other end of the spectrum, in every case that I've talked to of somebody who's saying, yes, we need to hunker down and see this thing through and make sure that we do the best that we can. In every case that I've talked to, it's the vulnerability of a loved one. There's somebody in their life and they're saying, we do not want to see harm come our way. There is somebody who, if they were to contract this, they would be those people who are most likely to pass away. So, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm trying to pick on everybody. Let's look at what's going on in our hearts right now and say, why is it that I am so fired up about this? And it's okay to not be okay, but let's try to discern what that is and then ask the question, okay, that's a good thing. To want my dad to have surgery, that's a good thing. To want loved ones to have the care and the protection that they need in this moment when they're very vulnerable, that's a good thing. But then to ask the question, what am I doing with that? Because let me just put the bar very, very low. As a Christian, it's okay to feel very strongly about things and to have very strong opinions. But it is not okay to behave unchristianly, to look at other people who feel different and to begin to become resentful and slanderous to have contempt, to speak that out in a way that reveals that you are frustrated and dissatisfied. We need to be able to say, soul, why are you so disquieted? Okay, now that I understand that, I'm going to take care with these feelings. Now I'm going to present them to God, and I'm going to allow for the way that I express them to hopefully be very, very helpful. So step one is to express how you feel. Figure out what those feelings are and why you have them and handle them in a way that's healthy. Here's the second thing. Remember God's faithfulness. In the midst of this, one of the things that we can do is we can look back at the history of God's working with his people. And maybe you have your own examples, or maybe you have to look at biblical examples, but every, in every case, God capably cares for his people. Not on the timeline that we like, not always in the way that we like, but God is faithful. So we need to remember God's faithfulness. In verse 4, it says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And it highlights some of the things that that person was able to experience. In verse six, it says, when my soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. And it's just saying there are things that I can call to mind to make myself more aware that God is a faithful God. And he is fully capable of seeing his people through traumatic experiences like the ones that we're going through right now. 
So this week for Ash and I, uh, it was one of those hard weeks, and many of us are going through kind of ups and downs of this experience, and things are very unclear with Ash's work moving forward, and, you know, she's distraught about, you know, her position and her friends and the patients that she cares for and all of these different things, just multiple, multiple layers of discouragement and and, um, just sadness, and there was a night where she didn't sleep because she just cried all night. And uh, then, then, you know, the next day we're sitting there talking and it's very clear that Ash is upset and, you know, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a really good husband, so I'm talking to her and I say, okay, it w- you know, what's going on? And I say, um, okay, I need to get to work. And so I just go downstairs <laughs> and go down to my, my home office and I can see she's, you know, she's very upset and then I just kind of retreat away from that and, and I emerge later in the day and, and Ash looks different. Like her countenance changed, her mood changed, her body language changed, everything changed. And obviously I was not helpful at all in that situation, but she figured it out on her own. And later on she tells me how that happened. And as it turns out, she was listening to a worship song and she was remembering the faithfulness of God. And it was like a light switch went on for her. That in light of who God is and what he has consistently done for his people, all of the weight of all that Ash was going through in that moment just began to melt away. That's what we need. We need to remember the faithfulness of God. And I wish that I could promise that it always works like that, that it's always like the the other shoe dropping and there's this immediate relief. But oftentimes it's this persistence and remembering the faithfulness of God that situates us to make it through these seasons. But we need to remember God. The third thing that we need to do, and I need to pick up the pace here, the third thing that we need to do is we need to turn our lament into prayer. And that's what Psalm 43 does. It picks up all of those concerns that were laid out in chapter 42, and it now turns them into not only a prayer of expression, but now a prayer of request. So here's how I feel, God, but now I'm going to ask you to do something about it. And so the psalmist prays like this, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. It's saying, please do something here that will bring me out of this and vindicate my experience. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Guide me. Look at verse three, send your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. God, here's how I'm feeling, but would you please guide me to yourself? Guide me home. Guide me to the mountain where you dwell. And then it's a prayer of commitment in verse 4. It's a prayer to be God's person on the other side of this thing. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. It's a prayer that's saying, God, I commit myself to you. On the other side of this thing, I will be your person. I will be your person, but we need to learn how to turn our laments into requests. God, here's how I'm feeling. Now I'm going to you and I'm asking you to do something about it so that I might um, experience more of you. All right, here's my fourth suggestion for you. I think it's very important. So, so buckle up. Here we go. Here's the fourth one that we need. All of us need this. We need to learn how to preach to ourselves. It's an odd concept. I'll try to unpack it for you but you need to learn how to preach to yourself. Look with me at 42 verse 5. It shows up two more times. Verse 11, 
43, verse 5. It's all identical, but here's what it is. The psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What is the psalmist doing here? He's preaching to himself. He's speaking to his own soul. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a physician in, in Europe, and then he became a pastor and um, excellent preacher. He's uh, deceased now, but he has a lot of sermons out there that were published and turned into books, and one of them is called Spiritual Depression. And he deals with Psalm 42, and he, he's the one who really coined this concept for me of preaching to yourself. And, and in um, that book, Spiritual Depression, he's telling people, we need to learn how to do this. So let me read a brief excerpt to you, and you'll see it up on the screen as well. But this is what the doctor says about this experience of the psalmist. He says, have you realized that most of, most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is it? It's yourself talking to you. Now, the psalmist's treatment was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk, he starts to talk to himself. This is how he does it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will talk to you. That's what we need to learn how to do. We've got all these feelings inside of us and we need to learn how to say, I'm actually going to steer this conversation where it needs to go. Instead of the voice in my head telling me how I should or shouldn't interpret all of these different things, I'm going to learn how to preach to myself. I'm grateful we can do this and I can preach at you from a bar stool, uh, you know, pub top table thing. I'm grateful we can continue to do this and open up the word together. But you need to learn how to, how to preach to yourself how to take the truth of God and apply it to your own soul. You need to learn how to, like, like another place in the Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take those rogue and renegade thoughts that are running through your head and causing you concern and grief and say, hold up, hold up, soul. Why are you feeling this way? Sit down, I'm about to preach to you. And here's what that means. Here's what preaching to your soul looks like. You are telling your soul what it needs to do. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Soul, I don't, I'm examining why I feel this way, but here's what you need to know, soul. Put your trust in God. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a reliable God. Place your faith in him. You need to acknowledge your future. As you preach to yourself, here's what you're saying. I will yet praise God. Right now, I'm having a hard time doing that. I'm pouring out laments instead of celebrating God's goodness, but I know that one day I will praise him again. So preach in that way, for I will yet praise God. And then finally, apply the truth of the personal gospel to your own soul. Look at how he ends his prayer. He says, my Savior and my God. That's what, we're, that's what we should be doing. We should be saying, you are God and you're my God. And you are a savior, not just a savior from our circumstances, but even better yet, 
a spiritual savior. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place to give us the hope of glory. So we need to learn how to preach that gospel message to our soul, to be able to say, soul, sit down, put your hope in God. I will praise him. He is my God and my savior. If we learn how to do these different habits, I think we'll be better situated to experience the hope of God. So let me pray right now and we'll worship once more, but let's pray. If you would bow with me, please. Lord, we have all kinds of different feelings going on inside of us, and we're grateful that you've given us permission in your word to be honest, to bear our souls, to say, here's how I'm feeling, and it is not great. But Lord, would you give us the spiritual discernment to know what to do with that? And would you give us the ability to preach to, our, to ourselves, to speak truth over ourselves in a way that actually would help us to know our Savior better and better? And would you let that steady us and fill us with hope? We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.